So if you would please open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 5 and we will be picking back up where we left off last week with verse 13. We're only going to take a couple of the, a few verses. We're not going to finish the chapter unless something happens and things just flow so well and we do finish the chapter. But I more or lean on the fact we're only just going to take a few verses on this one. But just follow along with me. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 13 through 18. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite, and let me assure you, sheep do bite, But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So in these passages today, we see here uh, Paul, as we are in this chapters 5 and 6, are doing the practical application of all the doctrinal arguments and reasoning and understanding of uh, the truths of God. And he took us through the first four chapters that way. Five and six actually is the application piece. How do you apply this to you? You personally, in your day-to-day life. If you remember, these Judaizers, these religiosity-type people were creeping back into the church there in Galatia area, those churches up in that area, and they were spreading that you must, you must take on that um, uh, Jewish rituals and laws and regulations and all these things, the law of Moses. Now, keep in mind... Even those who were Jewish and were born in, those, in that family, in that culture, and went to the synagogue day after day and was teaching and teaching and been taught, they couldn't even do all hundred and, or 613 uh, commandments or rules and regulations. But here they are, Paul's up into this area outside of Jerusalem, outside of the area, spreading the gospel, the good news to these Gentile heathens, They get saved, they're loving the Lord Jesus Christ, they're following them with their hearts, and here these Judaizers from Jerusalem were following along as Paul was moving from city to city, coming in and bewitching or convincing them that you can't be just saved and go to heaven and see the Heavenly Father just by faith. You must have faith in Jesus Christ as your Messiah. Fine, that's sure, that's great. But you also must do these following rituals and religious practices to be able to be really make God happy with you. And that's just false teaching. Anyone who says you mu- the only way you can get saved, the only way you can really please God, the only way you can really go to heaven is by faith in Jesus Christ and something else, then you know you're talking to false teaching and you're not to listen to that. 
Because you're justified. You're made righteous in the eyes of God by faith alone in what Jesus Christ did for you and for me on the cross. He paid the penalty. He went to the cross for you and I. We didn't have to do that. He did it instead of, of, of us. He did it for us because he loved you that much. Do you believe that? Do you believe God himself came to this earth and took on flesh like you and I to go to the cross to pay for the sins of this world? For your sins personally. Do you believe that? Do you trust that with all your heart? And if you do, you will become, you'll get reborn, regenerated by the Holy Spirit himself. God Almighty will come into you. The Spirit of Christ will come into you and seal you for eternity. It is no longer a question, are you going to heaven? Because it's a free gift of salvation. If someone handed you a gift and said, here's a gift, because I love you. But then you turn around immediately in your head and say, how much do I owe you? You know you don't understand that it was given to you out of love, a free gift. You don't understand it. Something's not right in that relationship between you and that individual. Because if your mind automatically said, how can I pay you back? You can't pay God back. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough, go to church enough. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't pray enough. You can't do night, light up candles enough. You can't do anything other than by faith come and understand that he is your Lord God. You can't earn it. It's freely given. If you actually gave something back, then it's not a free gift. So Paul has been arguing all the way through here. You cannot work for your salvation. You cannot work to get to heaven. And if you do, you're not, you're not in a right, a right relationship with God. So Paul is here in our verses. As we continue, he says, brethren, you've been called to liberty. Remember? You're free from this religiosity, these religious systems and religious practices. It's about a relationship. It's a fact that you can freely, you have the freedom, the liberty to just act in freedom. You, a dog. You can have a dog, right? The dog <laughs> has a nature to want to bite you. If you put a muzzle on the dog, did it change the nature of that dog? No. It's just a dog that wants to bite you with the muzzle and it can't. But you take that muzzle off, it's going to go back to its old nature. It's going to bite you. Because that's the relationship that that dog has with you. The dog's behavior, the nature of that dog has to change. You, yeah, there has to be a change. You can be in bondage, as we've learned, or if you can be in liberty. You can freely act out of love for God Almighty freely and lovingly and loving one another freely. Or you can be under bondage and say, I have to earn my way to love God for him to love me. Or I have to earn and I have to go do works to get someone to love me in this world. But that's 
our biggest challenge in our world today. People are looking for works in relationships. Because you've been taught your whole life, if you do this, then mommy and daddy will really love you. Well, in the form of an ice cream or a form of something. But there's always some kind of attachment to, to get people to manipulate, to move you in a change of behavior of that moment. And that's understandable when you're a child. When you're a baby, when you're a kid, you have to have discipline and boundaries and you have to get them to move in a direction. But as they mature, that should not be. As you mature, your children love you because of a relationship. They understand the relationship between mom and dad and a child. It's got to be out of love, not out of fear. It's got to be out of love, not because they have to earn your love. That should never be that you only can earn by buying something, and that's how you earn your children's love. That should not be in your practice. Because that's what that child will understand as they grow up. And they will correlate that with their Heavenly Father, thinking, I must do this and have to do it perfectly, or God's not going to be happy with me. That is not right thinking. So as we look at this in this relationship and as we go, he says, you have the liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. So what was happening here, Paul is saying, hey, you've got this freedom to just love, just freely to love and express that love for God and for one another here. But as you're loving God, don't take this liberty that is outside the law and use it as an opportunity or as a base of operation. Because the word opportunity is like a military term, a base of operation. We're going to set up a base of operation, and everything we do is going to be based from that. We cannot have our life as a base of operation on a situation where we have liberty to live however we want to live. Because Paul understood there's a pendulum. We've talked about this. You have the pendulum of the law, which has all these do's and don'ts and regulations, 613 of them in the Moses Law, and all these others that were added and says, you can't do this, you can't do this, you must do this, you can only worship on this day, you must only eat food on a Friday on this day, and you must dress this way and have to have a haircut this way, dress this way. All these things get added in religion. There's no freedom. That's all bondage. But then... Paul is saying the pendulum could swing the other way, and this is where the legalizers, these Judaizers come in and say, wait a minute, if you don't have some kind of boundaries, then these Christians, you Christians, are going to go absolutely live like cardinal Christians. You're going to live like the world and think you're still saved. So Paul is saying here, do not use liberty, your freedom to love God, and have an opportunity to actually live out in your flesh. Letting your fleshly desires just have its own way. I can drink how much I want to drink. I can smoke. I can live around, have sex. I can do all the things I want. Because God's grace will is sufficient to cover me. Paul says, no. That's what the legalists are using against you. And that's why you should be back into bondage. I'm telling you, no. You don't want to be into bondage under the law. But you also can't take this freedom in Christ and figure out you can just live however you want to live. With a holy God. He's a holy God. So he says, don't allow that to be a premise where you shift over to just live however you want to live. And that God doesn't, out of love, doesn't think he, he's going to just tear, turn a blind eye to you. 
But he says at the very end of 13, but through love, serve one another. You want to keep yourself from going into your flesh and living however you want to live? Then put your eyes, take your eyes off yourself and put your eyes on other people. Serve one another. You want to serve. See, the greatest fear of the legalist is the fact that liberty would be used for an opportunity for the flesh. That you could just passively think, God's just going to passively allow me as a child of God just to live however I want to live. And when you go out there and sin, and you go out there in drunkenness and drugs and sex, and you're a little here, a little there, no big deal. No, no. God, God's just going to allow me to come say, oh, I'm sorry. I, I won't do that again. You're knowing in your mind that you're just going to go do it again anyway. And he'll forgive me. God's grace will cover me. See, that's, that's not right thinking. Out of love for God, you, you don't want to do those things. You don't desire those things any longer. Because God is changing and molding and shaping you here. That's why first Paul writes to the brethren. Those are, those are all the sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ that we saw in Galatians 3.26. These are those who were baptized into Christ and have put on, put on Christ, Galatians 3.27. But these are also those who were called to liberty. And we saw that in Galatians 5.1. Now they are called to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And that's the question you and I have to ask ourselves. How are you going to take this freedom, this liberty that God has given you and me? How are you going to respond and live in that freedom? Are you going to go back and put a little religion back into the system and a little bit more do's and don'ts? Or are you going to choose to go to the wild side and just go live like the world and live like you used to in the old flesh? That's the question Paul is saying and giving them a warning. This is an exhortation from Paul to you and I to, to really encourage us. Do not let the pendulum swing to the left or to the right. Because if you use that freedom that God has given you as an opportunity to just, to just live however you want to live, to to freely express whatever desire and ability you want to do in this world, then you're going to find yourself pretty miserable. And there's a saying I've, I was taught that changed my life many years ago. The more I think about myself, the more miserable I become. Because that's what happens. You live however you desire that fleshly desire wants to live. And you'll become miserable. Even much as you think, oh, I've got the freedom in Christ. I'm going to heaven. But you're more miserable as a Christian now because you are living contrary to the word of God. But they says, you want the antidote? Paul gives it to you. Love by serving one another. Through love, we serve one another. That is what we do. That's how we overcome our flesh. See, when you live in the flesh, the flesh 
automatically expects others to conform to us. You know you're in the flesh when you all of a sudden your mind says, well, they need to bend and do what I need them to do. I don't want them to do that. They'll have to do it my way. You know you're in the flesh because you're not thinking about the other person and the understanding of that. You don't really care much about what others are thinking and feeling at that because you really just want what you want. That's what your flesh desires. But when we, through love, serve one another, we conquer the flesh by getting out and serving others. We put our focus on, uh, on serving them, not to please man, not to be a man pleaser, but to say, God, how can I love that person? In verse 14, he says, for all the laws are filled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He quotes here, Paul quotes out of the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And he brings them back and says, you Judaizers, you legalizers, these, you coming back and trying to put them back into the law of Moses. Hey, the law already says, already go back to the Old Testament. You can see that everything is surrounded by this one word called love. It spoke of in the Levit Leviticus. The entire law was summarized in this single command of love their neighbors. Jesus confirms that, as you know as well as I do, in Matthew chapter 22 and Luke 10, where he talks about the love for the, your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love those around you. Love, because out of love, you won't go against and cause pain and suffering so willingly, out of selfish needs or selfish ways, because you'll always put an account to those around you. I want to do this. This is a desire of mine. My flesh really wants to go do this. But you know, that wouldn't be very kind to that person. Or that wouldn't be right for that person. That wouldn't be a good thing for that person. So I'm going to abstain for the sake of the other people. Out of love, I'm just not going to do it. It's okay. God's going to take care of that for me. But Paul also wanted to show that Christian love is the fulfillment, the carrying out of the law. And he developed that those points really clearly in Romans, especially Romans 13. But it's if if Paul addresses these legalists again, he says, "You want to keep the law? Do you want these people here in Galatia to keep this law? You're adding this law to these people. Do you want them? Well, here it is. It's all all the laws is 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 summed up very simply. Fulfilled very simply. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you have fulfilled the law in one word. Well, then he continues in verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Obviously, it appears, we don't have all the, the details, but it obviously it appears there was two camps in the church. Those who were bewitched, those who succumbed to these Judaizers who, who confused them and said you must add to your faith these, the, by getting circumcised and you have to, can, you have to only you know, worship on Sabbath and you, you have to eat these special you know, religious foods on religious days and all these other things that the law was adding, there are those who were in that camp and then there who were those who were living in the liberty and grace and maybe even the pendulum too far and living really pretty 
wildly and loosely in liberty, and there was devouring one another. They were going at each other. There's gossip and all the things that come to when two people are selfishly opposing one another. And that's what happens in a legalistic church environment. You will find backbiting, devouring one another because when you take two selfish people and you put them in a room together to do something together, watch out. Because you will see these two selfish people will eventually consume one another in that task. Because both of them want what they want, the way they want it, and when they want it, and out of love is not a factor. I'm going to go in and we're going to battle this out and whoever survives is going to win. But you have to understand Paul here. He's saying to them, do not go down this path of legalism. Do not go down this path of, of, uh, of, of a, a freedom in Christ with, a, with what we call the license to sin. You do not give liberty so that you can also get a little license to put in your your purse or your wallet to says this is the get out of jail card free kind of a moment i can go sin and live however i want to and as i and after i do it i just pull it out and say god it's your grace you didn't get a license to sin you have a license to love god and to serve others that's liberty but what happens if you don't, you will devour and you will bite one another. You will compete to death. And he says that's not the way it works. That is not how unity in within the church body is supposed to happen. And so that we find ourselves at any point within the unity of our church find that we're devouring or backbiting in any form or fashion, you know you're wrong. You know you're wrong and that you have to repent and you must change and ask God to change your heart so that you're not so selfish in your ways and allow learn how to love one another. Happens in the family as well. If you want unity within the family, you want it to, to dwell together in love as a family. You must die of self. You must live for, another, for the other. It's the only way it works. If not, you will devour and bite one another. You know, some people say, you know, how could that ever happen? I always remind them, don't forget, sheep do bite. <laughs> uh, they, yeah, they do bite. And it hurts. But you're going to love them. And you're going to pray for them. And you're going to let God do a work in them so that their hearts would change and they would no longer do that. Because we are free from sin. When you have a relationship with Christ, you are free from sin. You're not free to sin. And we are to serve others and we are not to serve ourselves. And he continues here in verse 16. It really gives us the 16 through 18, the promise of victory over sin. He gives us the solution to overcome our sin, to overcome our selfishness, overcome our, 
our sinful fleshly ways. He says right here in verse 16, I say then. This is the answer. Everyone's listening up, he's saying. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the answer. Now, a legalist, a, a Judaizer, which actually takes this scripture and twists it on you. If you probably have experienced this. A legalist or a religious type person will read that and actually flip it around and will actually say to you, now, if you don't fulfill the lust of your flesh, then you'll be able to walk in the spirit. Well, that's not what it says. It says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the question people say, Pastor, you know, I can't overcome this. I'm still struggling with this. I still desire this. I still want this. I still want to go here. I'm still, there's still confrontation in the family, still confrontation with people at church. I, I'm struggling with this. And I try, and I try, and I try to overcome that flesh. And remember, the word flesh does not mean sexual in nature. It could be, it can be a lust of, uh, of, uh, of good or bad, anything that you want. That's really good, and I want it, and I don't care what anyone else. It's like some brownies, right? You know, the brownies are sitting there, and there's one brownie left, and your flesh really wants that, and you're lusting after that brownie. But you have to take a stop, and if you really love the people around you, you'd stop and go, has anyone else had a brownie yet? That's love at the risk of knowing that you may lose that brownie. But out of love, you're going to do that because you love the people around you and you're willing to give it up. You have a feast. You've been up three times already at the potluck, so why, when you're up to the fourth time, you should probably stop and think, has anyone had even one serving of food? Of course, out of love, out of unity, you're going to make sure people all have their food. We're not going to just think of ourselves. We're going to make sure everyone is fed. That's love. But remember, to walk in the Spirit, as you walk in Spirit, you're not capable, you're not able, you're not allowed, you, can't, you just cannot fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You cannot sit there and try to stop the lust of the flesh and then in hopes to walk in the spirit. That is not how it works. So if you're having a struggle, Paul is saying here, you're having a struggle with the accepting false teachings and things are coming in your, in your life from these Judaizers. You got these legalists telling you have to add things to your faith to be able to have a right relationship with God. All this false stuff. Or you take it and you swing the pendulum and you go live out there and have a license to sin and live however you want to live. But on Sundays, you'll live better. You know, on Sundays, when you come to church, you, you live one way. When you're in your house, you'll live a different way. And you're at work, you'll live a different way. That should not be as a Christian. Who you are should be consistently in wherever environment and whoever's around you. So you don't have a license to sin. You have freedom not to sin. You're free. But the problem is, to walk in the Spirit 
If first means that the Holy Spirit lives in you. You can't walk in the Spirit unless you've been born again. Unless you have genuinely, with all your heart, asked Jesus to come into your heart and to save you and to forgive you of your sins, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't have the power, the capability to walk in the Spirit. Your flesh will continue to rule you. So what is the question is, is what is the flesh? It's not this. It's not the outward that we see. It's not the bones and the skin. That's not what flesh is. Flesh is the inner man, the inner woman. It's who you are. And you and I, when we were born, our inner man, our inner woman was corrupted with sin. We were a sinful old man is just reigning in there, ruling, corrupting the inner man. But when you come to realize that you're a sinful person and you cry out because God has been knocking at the door of your heart saying, let me in and I have paid for that sin. Let me in and I will come in and I will regenerate you. I will change you. You'll become born again. Just, I'm just, let me in. Just, I, I knock at the door of your heart and whoever lets me in shall be saved. But he doesn't force his way in. But when you do, you and I know we become born again, we get generated, we change. Now, the sinful nature no longer rules the inner man, the inner woman. Now, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ who now lives inside you, who the promise of the Holy Spirit coming inside you and sealing you for eternity, now your spirit is alive. Now your inner person is ruled and reigned and directed and changed and molded and, and moves and empowers you to live a Christian, a godly life that's honoring to God because he's doing the work in you because now your inner man, your inner woman has been empowered by God himself and not of the old nature. It's a change. So when you says... Walk in the Spirit, that first thing means that the Holy Spirit lives inside you. And I pray today, everyone who's born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside you. Because that's the first thing to be able to walk in the Spirit. The second, it means to open and be sensitive to the influence of the Holy Spirit. That when God is speaking a still, small voice, speaking to your heart, don't touch that. And you're like, ooh, don't touch it. I'm not going to touch it. Because God just really put on my heart, don't touch it. And you listen to the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit telling you not to do something or to do or to do something. And thirdly, it means to pattern your life after the influence of the Holy Spirit. If you're walking in the Spirit, then the Holy Spirit starts directing your paths according to the scripture. It never contradicts the scripture. And it moves your life through your life. It starts adding desires that are good desires, adding and changing and moving your directions of where you're going. You used to go this direction, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, no, I want you to go right. And you're just sensitive to the Spirit. You move, and he starts guiding you to the right, and you're willingly willing to go to the right. 
When you're walking and you're sensing and you know that you're filled with the Holy Spirit because you're born again, you'll be walking in the Spirit. And when you're walking in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's not a, it, that's not a question. Well, maybe it works for him, but it won't work for me. No, no. You have to understand that God does his part. He's, he's faithful. The question is, are you going to do your part? Are you going to listen to the Holy Spirit? Are you going to be obedient to what he tells you to do? Are you have an ear sensitive to know his voice? The sheep knows the voice of their shepherd. How do you even develop that sensitivity? Prayer, reading the word, fellowship, and service. Acts 2.42, the early church, was based upon, I want to hear God speak to me, so be in the word so he can speak to you. I want to be quiet, I want to just talk to him, so that he can, I can be quiet and allow him to talk to me. You've got to learn, that's a relationship. It's not a religion. It's not a checkoff list. You get to do it because you desire to do it. You don't do it because you have to do it. Religion is you have to do it. Relationship, I want to do it. Religion, I, I am, I'm made to do it. Relationship, I get to do it. Let that settle in your hearts. Because as you walk in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is guiding you, giving you clear direction, opens the Word of God to you, blesses you in the time of fellowship, but He will not force Himself upon you, and He will not go against your will. If you want, your inner man, your inner woman says, I don't want to do that, He is not going to force you. He's not going to make you. You're about to do something. You're about to look at something on the website. You're about to say something that you, you, you don't want to do. But all of a sudden, you, you just hear that still small voice that says, don't do it. Don't look at it. Don't, don't go there. Are you sensitive enough to the spirit in you that you say, I won't? And you run away from it. See, it's interesting in a very practical way, right? You're driving down the, car, down the road. And this is the battle. Someone cuts you off. I'm sure the first thing that comes to your mind is, oh, I love them so much. Oh, I'm sure they must be having a bad day. Let me pray for them. Typically, the flesh rears up very quickly. And usually the thoughts and the words that come out of your mouth are not very loving for that person. But all of a sudden, if you're walking in the Spirit, then all of a sudden, it will turn from, how could that 90-year-old be given a license and allowed to drive? To, 
God, I want to pray for them because I hope and pray that they don't get in an accident and get hurt. I hope, and all of a sudden your heart starts changing and moving and you go into prayer and praying for them, not praying against them. Um, I was praying usually, well, I've traveled a lot, but usually it's, God, please be a police officer up front and catch them. And then I realized, Corey, <laughs> you'll reap what you sow because you know how you go over 65 as well at times. So be careful what you're praying for here. Thanksgiving. You know Thanksgiving Day. You get there, you smell the food, the flesh is rearing up the inner man, the inner woman says, I want to eat. You have the appetizers and you get this and you're looking at it and you're, you're scoping it all out and you see, oh, there's a lot of food here, it's going to be great. And then the people are coming and they're bringing more food and you're eating a little here, a little, little. You're, you're just feeding the flesh because your desire is you've got to have hers because I want to be rude. She brought that. She made that. I'm going to eat that. And someone made this. My wife made this. Oh, this is my favorite. And this is our. And you know how it is. And you eat. And as you get there, you're sitting in the. And there's a little small voice that says, don't eat too much. You won't be having enough of the turkey. This is all about the turkey and the stuffing and the main meal. But your flesh is in there going, no, no, I really desire more of those appetizers and more cheese and the more crackers and the bread and stuff. And your flesh is struggling because you know in your heart, in your mind, you're just like, I shouldn't be eating this because I'm not going to have enough for my food. But all of a sudden, here comes the main meal. You finally get and you can't eat as much as you thought and you really wanted more. And, you, and then all of a sudden you're like, I am so uncomfortable. I am miserable of what I just partake in. That was way too much. I shouldn't have. I know I should. And then you're thinking, oh, I should have wore my sweats to, to the table because I would have more room. And so you start rationalizing how you could actually please the desires of your flesh. And you're just, oh, you want more tree? Oh, no, I'm full. I'm completely full. I'm going to get sick if I don't. i got to go lay on the couch. And you get all these things, and you're saying all these things, of how your flesh is full, and you can't have any more. But then all of a sudden, dessert. <laughs> and you're sitting there, and your flesh says, dessert? Oh, I'll share a piece with you. You know, you start rationalizing. The flesh cannot be controlled. It's not, it doesn't negotiate. It wants what it wants. And if it's not brought under the power of the Holy Spirit, it will have its way. The lust of the flesh will come apparent in your life. By what you say, by what you do, and where you go. And that's why Paul says, you must. You, you can just tell. You can look at your life and you can always tell if someone is, walks in the spirit because they look a lot like Jesus. Jesus told us that the mission of the Holy Spirit would be to, to promote and to speak of him. That it would line up with his word. It would not go against his word. And when someone walks in the Spirit, they listen to what the Holy Spirit says as he guides us in the path and the nature of Jesus.
See, the Holy Spirit will never move us in a direction to gratify our fallen desires and passions. And so many people rationalize that with me. Oh, God is, I, I seek after God and God has told me that this is what I, I, I'm, we're going to do and we're going to go and what we're going to. And I'm like, okay, where, where in the scripture has he showed you that? And, and how do you know that are, that's not just your own desires? Yeah, they're good desires, but how do you know they're not God's desires versus yours? Are those just your passions? Well, I've had a childhood dream my whole life, and I was going to do this. Okay. Do you know if that's of God, or is, if, or is that just for your own desires and passions? Or are you really listening and sensitive to the Holy Spirit guiding you? How does that line up with the nature of Jesus? How does that line up with the love for others around you? How will that impact others? Ah, this will have to get over it. I, I have a desire to do it myself. But it impacts the people around you, your family, your wife, your kids. You know, it's my desires. I've always wanted to do it. I, I encourage you to seek after the Lord. I encourage you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And are truly, are you walking in the spirit on those things and not living under the dominion of the law or under the passions and desires of your own flesh? Because in verse 17, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. See, Paul here next explains the need for a life that is controlled and energized by the Holy Spirit. Because your flesh is lusting or going against the spirit that lives inside of you. And your spirit is going to go against the fleshly desires that are in you. Because the spirit desires for you to become more Christ-like. Not worldly, not fleshly, not, not of someone else, but more Christ-like. And so this is where the battle is. See, most Christians, you're in sin, you've been ravaged by sin, you're, you're depressed by sin, you're confused by sin, you're, you've been controlled by sin, and you come to Christ, you surrender your life, you ask for forgiveness of sins, Christ comes inside you, and you think, all my problems are going to go away now. No, no, it doesn't. Because when you are just living for yourself in your living by your fallen nature, controlling your inner man, there was no conflict. You get to you lived however you lived. It was no big deal. It was only when you got hurt through it all and you were coming and ravaging yourself. The drug was ravaging you. The porn was ravaging you. The alcohol was ravaging you. Your pride, your selfishness, your greed. Those are starting to ravage you in your life as you got older. Then you finally realize you need to change. What happens now is there was no competing factors in there. But now the Holy Spirit comes in and camps inside you. Now you've got two people butting heads. You've got your fallen nature fighting against the spirit and the spirit fighting against the flesh. And that's the, what we call spiritual warfare. So when people say, well, why do I continue to even think of these bad desires or be selfish or prideful or greed? 
Because your inner man was trained your whole life to be that way. It was a sinful nature. When you gave your life to Christ, it got slain. The old fallen nature was dead. It's dead and it's on the cross with Christ. But your inner man still needs to be changed. It needs to be molded and shaped and your salvation needs to be worked out by the Spirit of God having dominion and power over you. And that's why I keep telling you, just keep showing up regardless how you feel because eventually the spirit is going to have its way and eventually your inner man, inner woman is going to be changed and strengthened in Christ so that that fallen nature view of you is, not, is just going to fade away and him is going to be more dominant and more bright and more awesome. It just takes time to mature in Christ. And you just have to allow this to happen because, like Spurgeon said, dead men don't struggle. So when you are dead in your trespasses, dead in your sin, you didn't struggle doing sin. But then when you come to Christ, now you struggle because you're alive. There's a butting of heads. There's a fight going on in your, inside you. And you will struggle in the Christian life because you're alive now. You've been born again before you were just dead and you didn't know it. And you could just live and think however you wanted to. But now you, you can't. This tyrant still lives inside you. This tyrant still wants to bring you down. This tyrant still wants to keep you from allowing you to freely and, and, and just fully give your life to Christ and to live for him and trusting him. So this tyrant is always, this flesh is always coming, and this seed of cardinal nature keeps always wanting to come up, but it will never negotiate. This little terrace inside you won't negotiate. You must put it down. You must fight back. And you do it by asking the Holy Spirit to fill you and to put that down in your life. The daily battle is inside us. That's what Paul's saying here. And this battle is going on in the Christian and the battle between the flesh and the spirit and they're contrary to one another. They do not and will not get along until we're taken out of this earth into the presence of God and we're completely changed. That old nature, that tyrant, that inner man is still out there trying to get their way in the flesh. See, that fallen old man that in, in, that's corrupted our inner man, uh, Paul speaks of that in Romans 6.6, 6, um, and you can go back and certainly look at that. But even though the old man was crucified with Christ and is dead and gone, that influence still battles against the spirit daily. But the antidote, the final antidote, is like I said, will be the resurrected body. Now, some people say, yeah, I don't sin. I'm fine. I'm good. There's no problems. I'm saved. But remember what even John the Apostle said in 1 John 1.8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, we have to understand there is a battle. But the Holy Spirit is there to, as a helper, as a comforter, as an encourager to help you and I through that battle until God calls us home. 
But, but that battle, you know how it plays out, right? You wake up and say, God, oh, what a beautiful day, and I'm so glad. But the flesh says, no, you don't want to get out of bed. Yeah, you need to get out of bed. you got things to do I need to do for you. Yeah, I don't want to get out of bed. And I don't want to go do these things. I, I can, I'll be just fine. I can ju- God, I don't need to get out of bed to really serve you. You, know, you. you start rationalizing. And then once you're in bed and you say, you know, I'm going to stay in bed because I have freedom in Christ. I don't have to get out of bed. I'll do what I, I you know, I'm going to be just fine right here. I'll just lay here and pray. But then what does the devil do? Then condemns you. See? You didn't get up and go to church. Or, see, you didn't get up and do the things you said you were going to do. See? And then all of a sudden, the devil just comes right in and uses that and twists that. It was to get you to fall into not being obedient to Christ. And then takes it and then twists it and uses it against you when you do fall, you know, you succumb to the flesh. That's how the battle works. And you just have to recognize it, see it what it is, and just respond in obedience to what the Holy Spirit says. When the Holy Spirit says, get up, you just get up and you move. Because that will keep you from that condemnation. But the devil loves to condemn, does he not? So what is the solution? When the flesh begins to rise up, there's only one remedy. And that remedy is to take the sword of the Spirit. That is our offensive weapon. Yes, we have defense. We have a helmet of salvation. We're saved. We have a shield of faith. We know we're in Christ. Our feet are ready. Our belt of truth is on. But the sword is the word of God, and we must immediately, when the flesh wears up, you must start getting into the word. You must allow the scriptures to start dominating your mind. For me, in the beginning, I just said, God is an awesome God who reigns from heaven above. And it got my mind off of the flesh and onto him that allowed me to then bring those thoughts into captivity, bring my thoughts back to God and allow the spirit to move and to give me clarity so I'm sensitive to a spirit to be able to do what he's called me to do. And then finally in verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit... You are not under the law. See, the the solution, the antidote of the diseased sinful nature is not the law. It is not religion. It is being led by the Holy Spirit, God himself. That is your solution, the antidote to your sinful disease or sinful nature in this case. You must, we must be led by the Spirit. Paul emphasized that a godly life is not lived under the rules of religion or under the law, but is a life led by the Spirit. And he says, you must understand, you believers in Galatia, you must understand that you're not justified Uh, and made righteous in the eyes of God based on your works and based on what you've done. And your sanctification as you mature and grow in your relationship with me is not done based on works. It's based on a relationship and allowing my spirit to have his way. Because you 
fulfill the will of God through the inner influence of the Holy Spirit instead of the outer influence of others. See, God effectively and is able to write his law, his desires, his way on our hearts. We see that in, even in Jeremiah 31, 33. I put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Do you allow God to put his desires in your heart? Do you allow him to direct your life? Do you, do you give everything up to him and lay it at his feet and I'll have, allow him to have his way? Because the law will never do it. You can sit there and take the law. You can sit there and take city ordinances, working with the city. Ooh, it's been a fun and you can place those law all over. You can't ride your bike on the sidewalk. You can't skateboard over here. You can't, 65 miles an hour is the fastest. You can't go down a one-way street. Um, you can't do this. And you can have these signs plastered everywhere. It's clear. The law is clear. But that doesn't compare to having a police officer sit right there and you visually see. You don't see a police officer, it's amazing how that speedometer just climbs. And amazing how many times people come up the one-way street right outside the church. But once you know and you see someone sitting right there with a position of authority like a police officer, amazing how the car just, just goes the direction it's supposed to go. When you know God is inside you and never will leave you or forsake you, he's with you 24-7, and you recognize that he's present, you and I do not need a law posted everywhere. The one who directs our lives, who con should control our lives, it's why Lord Jesus, Master Jesus, he is in our presence. We just willingly do what he wants us to do. That's called walking in the spirit. May we walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. I love the Trinity. I love how God is. God the Father has dealt clearly dealt with the guilt of our sin by paying, by forgiving us. God the Father has forgiven us and has dealt with the guilt of sin. God the Son died in our place, dealt with the penalty of sin so that we could have eternal life. And God the Holy Spirit dealt with the power of sin he has broken the power of sin in our lives and he has given us a power to live for him and we can now live and be directed by walking in the spirit. He is giving it all. He can do it all if we will allow him to have it all. 
So whatever the challenges you and I find ourselves in today where the flesh is dominating and controlling, give it up and allow the Holy Spirit to have his way in your life. Amen?